Oh yeah, now we're going to sing sanctuary, y'all. Because that's what we are. We are his sanctuary. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his sanctuary. But this is a sanctuary. This is a safe place. We should be able to come here. Y'all can. This is safe. This is a safe place for y'all to come. Come as you are. Come to the cross. However you are. You don't have to. You don't have to take a bath before you take a shower. Come as you are and let the blood of Jesus cover you. Fill in. All the missing pieces. Everything that we can't do by ourselves. We are going to come and we are going to praise God. We are going to offer up a living sacrifice of ourselves. Y'all sing with me in worship. Amen. That moment that we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ through his bloodshed, we became a sanctuary. And Holy Spirit come, came and now resides with us. Today we're going to begin a three-part series. The series is entitled, Living the Crucified Life. We hear about this, but I want us to take some time over the next three weeks and look at what is living the crucified life. We're going to look at a new direction. 
We're going to look at a new master. And we're going to look at new fruit as we live the crucified life. We're going to be looking today at a, a new direction. If you'll take your Bibles and open them to the book of Romans chapter 6. I want us to spend some time today looking at this new direction that we are to live. If we're going to live in the Christian life, we have to walk, we have to move forward. Living isn't just sitting there, but living is moving. And we need to be moving in a direction of something new. And Paul gives us a good picture of that. And what I I love, we're at a great time in the book of Romans right now. Especially a great time with Easter coming up. Because we've looked at over the beginning of Romans where we spent some time about we were all sinners and I really began to wonder if Paul knew when to stop because it was like week after week after week we kept hitting the idea that we're sinners everyone is a, a sinner the Jew is a sinner the Gentile is a sinner that everyone was sinners that we were sinners and then we spent some time on the great side of that where Paul was explaining to us about how we had all been justified How we have been declared through Christ and our acceptance of him that we were right with God. And today we're moving from that justified where we're put in right standing with God into sanctification. That's a part of the life that we are to live out. We see all throughout scripture that you are to live out your salvation We don't do things to earn our salvation. We already have our salvation, but because of that, we move into sanctification where we're living and we're creating ourselves through the help of Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. And that is a lifelong process that we will all go through. Some of us uh, quicker than others. But today I want us to begin looking at this new direction And we see how Paul is changing into this sanctification. He's no longer dealing with, you see, the justification dealt with the penalty or the guilt of our sin. But the sanctification is dealing with the power of our sin. You see the difference, the guilt versus the power A gentleman named uh, McLean wrote it this way. Justification is the declaration or the declarative act of God. Justification does not make man righteous. It never means that. It means that God declares him to be righteous. In church, there's a big difference. The justification we've talked about doesn't make us right. It doesn't do something to us so that we become right. It is that God declared it. God chose to pronounce that on anyone who would accept his son. And now we're going to deal with these questions in light of God's saving grace. Paul, we're going to see in just a moment, asked that he knew the question, the people he were writing to. Well, if God has saved me, And God has justified me. And God makes me in right standing with him. Then can't I just keep on sinning? It's not going to change anything. That's exactly what some of them would think. Because of that, I can just keep on. Shall we continue to sin? Because he told us just at the end of five that when sin came, that grace abounded. 
You see, God's grace for us is displayed through our sin. So shouldn't we keep on sending so God can keep on showing his grace? And then at the end, he says that sin is because we're not under law, but under grace. Shouldn't we keep on sinning? You know, there are some people that are that away. And I pray and hope it's none of you that think, since I've been justified, since I'm a believer, and it no longer matters, I'm just going to keep on sinning. Well, let's look at this new direction. Let's take a look at what Paul has to say about that. If you would stand with me as we look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing here says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we, are, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead into sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For you shall, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Father God, how thankful for your word. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Father, I pray that as we hear you, Lord, that you would give us ears open to hear the Holy Spirit. That, Father, our hearts would be softened to the speaking of Holy Spirit. And, Father, Lord, you would help me to step aside. Lord, you would speak through me. And, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me for declaring Heavenly Father's message this morning. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking this morning, as I said, of the first part of this living the crucified life is a a new direction. You know, for some, we, we can understand that you're going down a road and you come to where that road ends and there's a T. We call it a T. It forms a T. And then you have to make a decision. Do you go left or do you go right? You're no longer going straight. You will be in a new direction. Or maybe you're going down the road and it just dead ends. And you have to turn around and go back. 
Either way, you're going in a new direction. And the moment we become believers of God, we come to him in confession and repentance and accepting what his son Jesus did on the cross. We come to a T in the road and we have to decide because we can no longer go in the direction that we've been going because we're new creatures. God created us new. We've got to go in a new direction. Well, what is this new direction? Well, the first thing is we must change our direction. As believers in Christ, we have to change our direction that we're living in and to find a new way to follow with what Christ's doing. Why do we change? Because Scripture tells us that we should walk in a newness of life. Amen? We were headed for hell destined to nothing we could do but because of God's love mercy and grace he sent his son to down a cross and we just have one always up here to give us a visual reminder of that and when we turn to him then we have to change a direction why is that because we have been crucified with Christ Look there at the beginning of that chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? When we come to Jesus Christ, which we're going to see, we were crucified with Christ on that cross. We have become dead to sin. The power of sin no longer reigns over us. We should no longer desire to sin. Now, understanding, yes, that as humans, we will always fight this battle, church. It will be a never-ending battle that we fight because we have a human nature, and our human nature was born into sin. Jesus Christ changed us, and he freed us from the power of sin, but Satan is still alive today, and he is still active. And you know, Satan is a smart fella. We don't like to always give him the credit because we don't like who he is, but he knows each and every one of you in a unique way. And he, guess what? He knows where your weak spot is. He knows where he can tempt you. But he no longer has the power to control us because when we accepted Christ, we were justified and now we're sanctified, we were crucified. We should no longer have this desire to continue on sinning. Yes, sin is usually fun. That's the reason Satan gets away with it. You know, if sin was like putting your finger in a mouse trap and letting it go off and whop you on your finger every time... We wouldn't have a problem saying no. But he makes it exciting. He makes it fun. But that desire to keep on keeping on in the same sin over and over and over, we shouldn't have that desire. We should be convicted of it. And that's when God steps in. But we also change our direction, not just because we were crucified, but we were buried, church. We were buried with Christ. When Christ died on that cross, We were crucified with him at that moment. Even though we wasn't there, we were crucified. When he went into the tomb to show that he was dead to that, we were also buried with him. Look at verse 3. 
It says there, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. When we go into the baptistry, we talk about the old person standing up there and we say you're buried with Christ in baptism and we usually lay them back over like they're in a grave and then walk to a newness of life when they raise up. You see, Jesus went into that tomb and when he went in church, contrary to some, he wasn't just sleeping. He wasn't, as some say, swooning. He wasn't out of it. He was dead. And when he went in that tomb, he was dead for three days. And then by the glory of the Father, he resurrected him out of that. But we were baptized, not that our baptism saves us. Let me reiterate that. Being baptized is only symbolic in these waters. But the act of what happened inside, we were buried with him. Just as Jesus was buried, we have already died to sin. You don't bury, or should I say, I hope you don't bury anyone that's not already dead. But we were buried because we are dead to sin because we were crucified with Christ. The power no longer raised over us. Go in there. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Leave that up there just one second, please. If you notice there, it says those second and third, go back for me. There we go. Second and third letter, I have been crucified. I'm not being crucified. This is very, very important. As a believer, you were crucified with Christ when he was on that cross. It is not something that we do daily. Now, we daily die to self. And often people take that scripture and turn to this. But we were only crucified once. Just like Christ can only be crucified once. The moment Christ died on that cross and we received him, we were crucified and we were made right. At that very moment, God declared us to be right with him. Period. And it does not matter what happens from that point on. You have already been crucified, died with Christ. You've already been declared righteous by God. But we should not continue on sinning. It should change our life because of what he had done. And what I like here, the the last part of this, we must change our direction because we were crucified, we were buried. But guess what, church? Just as Christ was raised from the grave, we were raised to walk in a newness of life. Look there at verse 4. It says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. What does that mean? We were crucified with him. Our sin, the power of sin was done away with. We were put in that grave to verify in our minds of our death. But just as Christ come out of that tomb and is living today, we are living today. 
born again children of God. We have conquered the power of death through the resurrection and the glory of the Father. We have a a newness of life. We can no longer, just as Jesus could no longer go back into the grave because he was alive, he could no longer go back on the cross because it would mean nothing because what he did was a one-time act. We keep going forward. 1 John uh, gives us a good example of that. 1 John Chapter 3, verse 9, if you want to just jot that down. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, yes, we're still going to sin. What is that talking about? Sin no longer has the power over us. Our lives have changed the who is in us has changed. Our, our heart has changed. What our desires should be has changed. If you had a desire in your life for something prior to conversion, prior to you accepting Christ, and after Christ that desire is still just as strong, you have no conviction over it, nothing has changed in your life, I'm going to tell you, you probably wasn't saved. Now, I'm not going to say you're still not going to be tempted because whatever your weakness was prior to your salvation is still a weakness in your flesh that Satan's going to attack. But your mental capacity, your desire, your want to should begin to change. You know, I've heard some people who had a problem with alcohol prior to their conversion And at the moment they accepted Christ, from that moment forward, they never had a desire for alcohol. Praise God. But I also know some people who had a desire for alcohol prior to being saved. And when they became saved, there was still a temptation there. There was still a somewhat of a desire, not as strong. They then knew it was wrong. They would hear Holy Spirit convicting, and they eventually worked through, and they grew in that. But because we are crucified, we change directions in our life because it's no longer us who's living, which leads us to the very next point that we must walk concurrent in our direction. What do I mean by we must walk concurrent in our direction We have been united in his likeness. So the life we live now, we should be walking concurrent with Jesus Christ. We have been conformed into his image. We have become a co-heir. We've become a child of God just as he is a child of God. We've been united in that likeness. Verse 5 tells us, Back at Romans 6, Paul writes, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We're walking along with Jesus. We were crucified with Jesus. We were buried with him. We rose out. So the life we're now living should be walking in the same path that Jesus Christ is walking. Our goal in life to daily to become more like Christ What was that? I think it was that John the Baptist said, may he increase and may I decrease. That should be the goal of our life. Every day to let my flesh decrease and let Christ reign more in me. 
How can we do this? Because we're no longer slaves to sin. Look there at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer power. We're no longer bound to Satan. We're no longer bound to have to do that sin. When we were under the dominion of Satan, we had to obey that. But we don't now. That's how we're able to grow. That's how we're able to become more like Christ. It says at verse 7 there that we were freed from sin. We were cleared from. It's passive. It's happened in the past. The moment we accept God's saving grace through our faith at that very moment, our sin debt is wiped clear forever, forever. Yes, we still sin and we come back to God and we ask for forgiveness, but the penalty, the debt of that sin that causes death no longer happens. That's why it says down there that knowing Christ has been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Well, we're walking in concurrent with him. Death no longer has dominion over us. The power of sin, the power of sin is death. A physical death, but also a relational death. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when we receive that through faith, our penalty is wiped. Death will never come to us as believers. This physical body, yes, unless we tarry long enough and God returns, which very well could happen. But if that doesn't, this flesh will die. Most likely you have a casket and a funeral. We've had them here before. We've all been to them. But our relationship and our spiritual life with Christ will never, you hear me, will never be dead again. We will never church we will never be separated from jesus christ ever again when we are born we're born into sin when we sin and that we begin to realize that we become separated from god he sent his son to restore that and from that moment on once we receive salvation through faith never ever again regardless of what happens in your life will you be separated from God death no longer has that power over us let's look again in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, we've been crucified to this world, the sin nature of this world. And that world's been separated from us. 
don't know if any of y'all, any of y'all know a theologian. His name is, it goes by F.F. Bruce. Listen to this. There is probably a side glance at an alternative meaning of the word crucified. Dealing this way in Galatians. It says, namely, fence off. So that Paul's words may have also implied the cross forms a permanent barrier between the world and me and between me and the world. You see, when we turn to the cross, when we turn to Christ for salvation, we're walking a life concurrent with Jesus Christ. We are separated from the world and the world is separated from us. If we're going to walk this concurrent life with Jesus Christ, we must consider ourselves and our lives to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Paul wrote back there in Romans chapter 6 verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to reckon it in ourselves. We have to proclaim it. We have to tell ourselves daily that we have already been crucified with Christ. It's already happened. And the third thing we have to do to have a new direction is we must cling to our direction. Remember I said we change our direction the moment of salvation. And we walk concurrent with Christ in this new direction. We have to cling to that new direction. We have to hold to it. You know, you could take a car and we could get out here on this lovely Highway 84. And you could get your car going straight down that road. And you could let go of your steering wheel. And if you were on any other road... Your car would begin to drift to the left into the other lane. Or it would begin to drift into the other lane. But we must cling to. We've got to hold to that steering wheel to hold it in direction. If you're right out here on 84, you can let go and you can get all the way to Booker Loop in those ruts before your car starts moving from one side to the other. But eventually we've got to cling to. We've got to hold on in the direction that we want to go captain of a ship can get his ship going straight but if he doesn't cling to the direction that he wants to go he'll drift and I've used this analogy before you know if we're going down and we just drift just a little bit it won't be long before we'll never even see the target because we've drifted so far out of direction we must hold to the new direction What is that? We must hold to the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. God's word is the truth. And God's word here in verse 12 tells us that we're freed. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Don't let sin reign. Yes, we're going to be tempted. We're probably going to stumble and fall. I do. We all do. But we don't let it reign. We don't let it have control in our life because we've been freed. No one wants to be a slave. We're no longer a slave to that. And this is here is a command. It's an imperative right there where it says, do not let sin reign. 
It's what's known as a, an imperative. He is commanding those that he's writing this letter to. And church, I tell you today, that command is for us too. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. But because he says do not, that does also tell us we have a choice. We can choose. Just as the slaves back in their day, when they were freed, they had a choice. Hey, my master's taking good care of me. I want to stay. I choose to serve you. Well, that's what happens as believers. We choose to serve God and become his slave. But we can say as a believer, right or wrong as it may be, we can say, I want to continue living in that sin. Now, if you choose that, then we need to talk. But you do have a choice. But he's getting the command here, do not let the sin reign in there. You've been freed from it. We must also hold to the fact that we were declared righteous. Look at verse 13. And do not present yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, un, of righteousness to God. Instruments, tools, weapons. It's a war term, these instruments. We would probably say weapons today. You get ready to go to war, Mr. Kenneth. You've been there. You're issued a gun. We see in TV, tanks, and different things were issued these weapons. And Paul is saying, don't let your life be a weapon for unrighteousness. Church, we're in a battle. I hate to tell you. I know you know this. We are in a battle every single day, a battle between dark and light, a battle between evil and good, a battle between trying to live righteous and the unrighteousness of this world. And he told him here, do not present. This do not hear or it may be yield. In the Greek it's called mayday. But let me tell you why I say that, because I don't do that oftentimes. This is the most strongest negation word in the Greek. Do not under any circumstances. That might be how Paul would say it. I could hear him in his mind as he's writing. And don't you dare under any circumstances, for whatever reason, present yourself or your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But do yield yourself to God. Present yourself as weapons in this war to righteousness. The first do not hear this. Uh, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness is an active verb. Do not continue to do this. Because before we had a new direction, that's what we did. But the second one where he says there... Uh, to present or your members of instruments as righteousness to God is present, it happened, and it doesn't continue. The moment we come to Christ is a one-time act, and we surrender and we yield ourselves to God, and he declares us righteous at that very moment. We must also hold to grace. Look at verse 14. For you shall... 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. The moment Christ died, the purpose of the law to show that we were sinners, the purpose of the law for condemnation and separation from God was done away with, but Christ paid that penalty. And we are no longer under the law. The no law is, law is no longer saying that we're guilty because we've been declared righteous. It happened once and for all, and we shall not have dominion over in the future. Well, this is great. Three things we've looked at here. We've looked at that to have a, a new direction, we must change our direction. We must walk concurrent in our direction with Christ, and we must cling to our direction. How can we do this? I want to give you three things real quick, and I will get us out of here. I'm going to be as quickly as I can, but as long as I need to be, okay? Amen. Let's look at it here. Number one, we have to know. If you have any way of writing this down, you need to write this down. To live a new direction, you must know. What do you need to know? You need to know that we died with Christ on the cross and were buried with him. That's very important. Let me just read these couple of things to you. Christ died on the cross. When he died, it cleaned the slate. It removed the guilt and penalty of our sin. If we're going to walk in a new direction, church, the first thing is we must know this. We must be convicted of this fact. You need to have this knowledge that the moment you received Christ, every bit of penalty of your sin... Then, present, and future is done away with. Just as Paul, I'm sure, had writing, I'm going to say this, but I want you to hear me out. As a born-again believer, it does not matter what you do from that point forward. You will never have a penalty of a sin held against you. Not saying you won't have some repercussions from it. And not saying that we need to strive to be better. But the penalty and the death, you need to have this locked away. The moment of your salvation, it's taken care of forever. But that does not give us the right to continue to live in sin. We shouldn't want to. Being forgiven of such a great self. Our old self, who we were before, was crucified with Christ. That is hard for us to fathom because we were born some 2,000 years after Christ was born. My physical body was not there. But let me tell you, in his mind, in every aspect of your being, when he was crucified on that cross, you were crucified with him and the penalty of your sin was taken care of. It happened once and for all in the past with an ongoing effect. We don't have to do it daily. Christ gained the victory. And Christ is raised from the dead to die no more. We can never, once we've been crucified with Christ through salvation, we can never, ever die to sin again. We can never die in our relationship with Christ. That has to be drilled right here. Concreted in whatever it is. You have to know the fact and the truth that God declared you righteous. And nothing can change that. 
The second thing you need to know to be able to walk this life is to reckon. You need to reckon or count it so. You've got it concreted in your mind now that you're forgiven. You've been crucified. The penalty is no longer there. You've got to reckon that. You've got to count that in your mind. And you probably have to do it daily. We died back with Christ on the cross and we're dead to sin. Let Holy Spirit convict you when you're tempted again to remind you, Satan no longer has dominion over you. That temptation no longer has the power of the dominion. It might be tempting and you might choose to do it, but you don't have to. We have already had that paid for. And third is we must yield. We need to yield ourselves to God, what tells us in verse 13. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We need to surrender and yield ourselves to the work and the use of God. When we come to God for salvation, we become his child. We become his slave. We need to yield ourselves. And I believe this portion is a daily thing. You need to daily yield yourself to God. You need to say, God, I'm yours. And you need to be willing to be used by God in whatever way he asks. I'm just going to say something here and getting ready to close. Some people have a hard time with that. And we've always heard this. Well, I don't want to tell God I'll do anything. He might send me to Africa. Let me tell you two things. God wants you to go to Africa. You better get on an airplane and go to Africa. But what I am going to tell you, God works. God created you in a special way. And I fully believe that in how God created us, God gives us desires in our heart. And oftentimes, God's not going to go against that there. If you have at this moment in your life no earthly desire to go to Africa, I seriously doubt God's going to call you to go to Africa. And if he does, I believe he will begin working on you long before that and changing your desire. But when God wants us to do something, it's for our good. And it comes with blessing. It comes with power. So living the crucified life, how are we going to have a new direction? Here's how it is. This is the beginning of life for us as believers. We've got to know. And I keep saying that over and over. Paul was trying to explain that to them. The penalty of death is done away with. Sin will no longer separate you as a believer from Jesus Christ. You've got to have that here. Why is that so important? Here's the key. Because when you do sin and Satan rears his ugly head and says, God can no longer love you. You're no longer worthy of doing anything. Baloney. In my mind, in your mind, you should already have it concreted in that as a believer, God loves you. He has already declared you righteous, and nothing can change that. And then we've got to reckon, we've got to remind ourselves of that, and then we've got to yield to Him. When we can do these three things, 
than the three that we talked about in the sermon of changing our direction, walking concurrent with Christ, they all fall into play. And when we do those three things and we cling to him, we will walk in a new direction. And let me tell you what, it's a great direction. It's a victorious direction. Because we are under grace. And that's Christ. I ask you to bow your heads this morning. New direction. As a believer in Christ, are you living the crucified life? We hear about that in Scripture Day. We've looked at the first part of that. It's a, a new direction. Have you grown in your sanctification? Have you grown in your walk with Christ? Or are you still right where you were the moment you got saved? That's okay. You're still saved, but we need a, a pattern. We need a goal. And that's this new direction. This morning, do you need to call out to the Father and ask him to help you? Say, maybe something like this, is that's where you're at. Father, I'm sorry for not using what you've given me. I want to walk in a, a new direction Maybe we can be like one of the men in the Bible when we understand that God's word tells us that at the moment of salvation, God declares us righteous and nothing in our life can ever change that. Maybe you need to say these words, I believe, but help my unbelief. Some powerful words, we know it, but sometimes it's hard to believe it. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You need that new direction. This is the day for that. God takes us just as we are and he changes us. Where are you at today? Miss Madeline is going to begin playing in the, in the background. The altars are open. Do you just need to come and kneel at the altar and thank God for his declaring you righteous? Do you need to come and ask him? To declare you righteous. Just stand where you are. I'm just asking that you leave your heads bowed for just a moment.